good morning this this wonderful Sunday morning. It's uh, quite a fall day out there for sure. And as before we go into this sermon, is there is there anyone that wants to give a word of testimony this morning? I know the spirit has been moving already as we've been in here, and I don't want to move on without giving them the opportunity. God. Well, this morning, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. like to come around Patty we can do that here
Father, we've experienced you this morning more than we ever could by a sermon or a song. But as Patty said, sometimes you need to sit in a 14-hour drive and hear the words you have to say, even if we don't want to listen. God, as a church family and as a church body, let us come around her. There's so much we've been praying for, and we've seen your work, but your work isn't finished. Give her peace and give her family peace and all the different situations going on. Let us let her know that we love her, and in this stress of the mundane, let it, let it step aside because it's not what's important right now. Let us as a body wrap around her and let her know that she has peace and that she is loved and that we are here for her and you are in our midst and you are going before us and you're in here with us and we love to say seasons but sometimes those seasons never seem to end so god as we're we're in it and we're in the middle of it let us feel your presence as we walk through it let us not find you as a goal to get to but some someone who's guiding us as we go along let us feel you and let us trust you and let us be guided by you and if we cry out in anger or, or sadness or misunderstand let us feel you and let us trust you and listen to us and calm us and love us and thank you for all that you're doing in your name amen Something about coming in God's house, you never know what you're going to expect. You never know what you're going to find. So, there's no good transition. But, <laughs> so, several weeks ago, or a month or two, I don't know what day it is, uh, we had a baby dedication. Several members of my family were here, and one of them was my sister. She's a person that, obviously, we're brother and sister, so a period of time, we never liked each other. And at some point, when she went to college and came back, she was like, I kind of like that guy. So we've had a better relationship since then. And there are several things, and we work together now. She's a youth pastor here in Georgia, so we, we work uh, alongside each other in several aspects um, in the district and the regional um, of our Nazarene church. And she's done some incredible things in, in that, well, you, you know the game where it's like you have to give two truths and a lie. She's always my truth, one of my truths in that, that never seemed like it'd be true because many years ago when I, when I was younger and she was a little bit older than me, um, uh, Florida had this initiative, and I believe it coincided with um, the anniversary of the Wright brothers, where they wanted kids to fly planes which is the most Florida thing I've ever heard. But they, they, their goal was to get as many kids flying a plane as they could. And so my, my parents knew somebody that had their own plane. And so we went to their house and they took us to their little hangar and they had this small uh, uh, four or five person plane and they took us up and, Court, and my sister Courtney, she's holding onto the uh, wheel. That's not what it's called, but I don't know what it's called. The, uh, 
and she's holding on to it, and the driver's kind of explaining to her what's going on and how things are working, and he gets to a point where he's like, all right, you're flying. And he, he didn't, I don't believe he took his hands off the wheel stick, uh, but she, there was a period of time she, as a, I believe she was like nine years old, was flying a plane in the sky, and me and my dad were naively sitting in the back seat, just, you know, looking down, hoping that we land properly. Uh, and in addition to being a pilot, apparently, she's also an experienced crash test dummy. Now, let me tell you this story because it's one of my favorite stories because it ended amazingly well. No bumps, no bruises. But my, at, while she was at her in-law's house, I've been there several times, and they have an incredibly terrifying driveway. It, the house is at the bottom of a, or in the middle of a hill, and the road is at the top of the hill. And at the very bottom of the hill, there's a creek. We'll get to that later. Um, but she's, you know, she's in this old truck that they had. It was a hand-me-down from her, um, one of her other family members. And it was old, and it was a stick shift, and it kind of worked, and it got them around. It was their second car that was reliable enough to get, the, get one of the, the couples to where they needed to go, but not much else. And one day, she, her and a sibling were, or a relative were in the, uh, driving in this truck, and they're going up the driveway. And they get up to the top, and she goes to switch gears, and uh, she starts to roll back, and then applies the brake, and she's still rolling back. And, and it's for a second, she realizes, well, we're going that way, and I want to go that way. So she tells the person to brace themselves, and she puts, like, the position you're taught to back up. She looks back, and she prepares for the best. And at the end, at the bottom of the driveway, there's a car that belongs to one of the people that live in the house, and then there's a truck that belonged to a worker that, that was doing some work in the, in the house, and there was a big gap in the middle. And so she looked back and aimed for the gap. And she went through, and she went through it just fine. And like I said, the house is in the middle of the hill. So at the end of the driveway, there is a drop-off that's probably about three to four feet. And the way it's designed, it's supposed to be the end of the driveway. It's a nice little fence. But in this particular case, it was a ramp. And she <laughs> sails back up. She didn't hit either car perfectly. Um, she threaded the knee perfectly. And she goes flying off. And her bumper hits the dirt. And now that I've got your attention, hear the word of the Lord this morning. <laughs> we'll be reading to John 15, 1 through 11. And it says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. For every branch that bears fruit, he prunes them to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the words that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Just as the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. However, whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers such a branch, such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abide in you, and my word abides in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have 
kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So this isn't a parable necessarily, but John doesn't do anything necessarily the same as the others um, in the different gospels. So we, what we hear is Jesus comparing himself to something. He does this several times in John, and they're called I am statements. There are several of them. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. And this is a way for him to tell these people who he is in a way that they will understand. And there's something that's specific I want you to hear. Who is familiar with the term in biblical terms, I am? Where have we heard that before? Anybody know? Burning bush. Who, what was said in the burning bush? I am that I am. And this was the name that God gave Moses. This was the, the holiest and most uh, sought-out name to be given to anyone. I am that I am. So much so, in Hebrew, it is not even spoken. It is so holy, they usually fill it Adonai, or in our case, you'll see Lord in capital letters. This is because this name is above all names. It is the most holy name. And then we get Jesus. I am the light of the world. I am the divine. And this, the people hearing this would have known exactly what he was doing. They were say, he is saying, I am that I am. I am who has sent Moses, your ancestors. I am that. That is who I am. This is a big deal. And some people would have been very angry at this. And some people would have been like, hey, he's finally here. We've been waiting for him. In verse 2, he removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. Now, several translations of scripture discuss verse 2 in a kind of a harsh light. In, in NIV, like the NRSV that I used, it says he prunes, and in, even in, the, um, in other translations, it says he takes away. And now we, we kind of get this image of just being completely cut off and removed and uh, taken out. And a lot of the times we might associate that with like when Jesus says, if you look at a woman a certain way, gouge out your eye, completely take it away. Get it out of here, get it gone. But if we look at it in another light, the Greek root word used in these, these cases begins with arrow, which means to lift up. There's more in line with a common vineyard practices of, of the vine dresser w wouldn't just clip off the branch, not just produce, um, which didn't produce fruit, Im fruit immediately, but rather it might lift up the branch from the ground or the lower position so that the sun and the rain might fall on the branch to help produce, uh, produce more and to produce better. This is the loving grace that the Father can give us. Uh, for sure, it seems like naturally like, okay, it's not producing fruit. Get it out of here. We've got more branches to worry about, more fruit to grow. And if that was the case, many of us would be lost. There would be no hope for us. Some of us would, like, we were raised right from the beginning, and we, and we were heard, heard the right things, we're on the right track. And some people did not have that, um, that opportunity to experience God in that way. Some of us took a while. We had to meet the right person. God had to put the right person in our life 
and the right experience and the right circumstances for us to experience and be willing to hear and soften our hearts to hear his word and to be lifted up. So thanks be to God that we weren't just clipped off and thrown into the fire immediately. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't give up on us for the fir- at the first sign of low fruit. He works with us, or rather in us and through us, with the power of the Holy Spirit. But one thing he also tells us to do in this regard is to abide in me. Like most vines, it says that a, v- a branch by itself is not going to bear any fruit. It has no nutrients. It has no way to access the water and the sunlight and the growth from the vine. We have to be in him. We have to work in him. And we have to constantly be experiencing and feeling and growing in him. This is holiness life. This is being so in tune with God that we are growing and experiencing him. We as Nazarenes have a name for this. It's called entire sanctification. And it's growing and being a part of the vine so much so that we keep growing and growing and growing. But if we were ever clipped off, if we were ever separated, we would eventually wither. And now that is to say that there is no more hope. Not to say that there's no more hope because to follow the analogy, some of the best farmers can uh, aggregate. Mm, that's not the right word. They could put you back together and wrap it up. Graft it. And we could put you back together and you can heal and grow and continue. And to put it in another way, a, a, a way to look at it that I learned in college, it was a, a very simple offhanded way, but it impacted a lot of us that heard it, that sanctification, entire sanctification is like a, having a, a bottle or a cup of water that has dirt in it, and as you pour water into it, as you keep pouring, the dirt will, the water will eventually pull the dirt out and remove it. And, it keep, and if you keep pouring and you keep pouring and you keep pouring, it stays fresh and pure. And um, if you put it under a faucet, it'll never allow anything to enter in. But as soon as you pull it away from that faucet, it'll get stagnant, dust, dirt, other things will go, enter into it. And as soon as you open that tap back up, fresh and clean water. In verse 7, it says, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be given and be done for you. It must be made clear that Jesus is not the magic genie from the lamp. When we abide in Christ, we long for the things that he longs for. Therefore, when we remain in him and his word, the things that we ask for and the mindset that we are in will be of Christ and will be his will. So when we're asking for things, we might get a no, we might get a yes, but as we follow those, that binary directional um, aspect, we will be entering into the way of Christ and we'll be following him in such a way that we will be guided to the places that we need to go that he is calling us to. And we will not be lost and we will not be set apart from others. And this verse can be often misunderstood as Jesus will give us whatever we want. Like he said, he's not the genie that says, you only get three wishes, and whatever you want, you get. But if we are connected one with a vine, if we are a part of the vine as, as a branch, we will, we will hear what God has to say. We will grow that fruit. We will, he will give us all that we need that is in his will. Now, like I was saying about the the I am. The people of Israel knew this phrase. They knew the name of God so much so they wouldn't even utter it. They would have a placeholder for it. And even now, modern Jews won't even write the name God 
in English, when they write it out, they usually put a G-D in such a way that they won't even say the full name of God because it is so holy and so set apart. And this tradition is a part of the Old Testament where they, these people were God's chosen people. God came to them in the burning bush. He called them out of Egypt. He set them into the promised land. And there was a long period of time where they had to wait and they had to learn to be refined and get Egypt out of them before they could enter into the promised land. But the temptations of the world, the temptations of Egypt and Babylon and all these different places around them were so strong that God was refining and refining and clipping and pruning and pruning and pruning until there was nothing left. He had to put them in exile. And Isaiah, the prophet, says in five, Isaiah 5, verse 1 through 7, Let me sing from beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a, a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it, cleared it of stones and planted it with the choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and... Uh, and out, of the vi- and out of that, he built a vine, uh, wine vat. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and the people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than, not, than I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and, I will, and it shed it and devour it. I will break down its walls, and, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts, and the house of Israel, and the people of Judah, and his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but he heard cries. Now, the people of Israel, they were his chosen people, and they were given very simple but important commandments. God said, I am your God. You are my people. Abide in me. Follow my commandments. Follow my law. It is not rules, as we talked about in the teens this past Wednesday. These rules seem like they're just to keep us away from the fun and the, the, the world that seems entertaining and wonderful, but they were rules and laws to keep them safe and to grow and to be fertile and multiply. And, and when they followed his law, that we saw instances of this, where we see the people in Israel multiply in such a way that the people of Egypt had to start killing off the firstborn because there were just too many of them. They were too healthy. They were too uh, vibrant of people. And they, they, they had to do something because they were growing so well and so health in such a healthy way. So the words in the law of God wasn't just to keep them away from the fun, but it was to keep them safe and healthy and holy and a holy people. And they asked for a king, and God said, I am your king. I am, all you have to do is abide in me, and you will be healthy and holy. And, but we want to be like the world. We want a king. So God gave him a king. And we know the story of David and Solomon and all these great kings that weren't so great. There are people that we often revere in the church, but at the same time, we like to hide away the, the truth about some of the actions they did that caused not only pain and sorrow, but the, the breaking of the people of Israel to the point of separating the two kingdoms. And they, they, the decisions they made, although they were the leaders, did not follow the way of God. And God said, I warned you, do not have a king, but we want a king. And what happened, happened. And they were lost from that 
that harmony that they had with God. God works and tends the vine, which only produced sour grapes. The people of Israel were lost, and there didn't seem to be hope. And the, the passage that Jeremiah gi- or excuse me, Isaiah gives depicts this farmer that he's tried really hard. He has this great vine. He's spent a lot of money. He's, til- he's tilled it, and he's worked and worked and worked every season, hoping to have a robust harvest. But every grape that he had was small and shriveled, and sour, and they were not good. And no matter what he did, there was no hope for this thing. So he cut it down, cut it down to the roots, let uh, weeds grow in it, let it be trampled over. But there was hope. God did not give up on the world. Isaiah continues on in ver- chapter 11, is 1 through 3, he says, A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of the, his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him and spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be the fear of the Lord. And just to make sure you stay with me on this connection, if you don't know who Jesse is, he is the father of David. And when the, and when the prophet came to David or David's father, he says, bring me all your sons. And he says, here are my sons. And he went one by one, and none of them were the right fit until he found David out in the field, and he says, this will be the king. And as we know, the line of David brings us the true vine. Jesus came in the line of David from the, the stories we've heard, and that vine grew out of this stump. God had enough. We see this kind of anger in the story of of Noah, where he wipes out the whole world, but he just, he, he has hope. He has hope in his creation. He says, this people, Noah's family, they will be my people. And he has this realization again, where he has the people of Israel, he sets apart Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all their descendants, but they still turn against him. They turn away from him and turn to sin, and he cuts them down once more. But finally, the son of man, I am the true vine. He is here, and he is growing, and that is the family that we are adopted into. We are branches of that vine. The, the vine worker is growing and ripening in such a way that we are feeling and growing together, and when there are things that we struggle with, God cuts them out of our lives, and he works and lifts us up where he needs to be lifted up and cuts off what needs to be cut off. Now, Back to the, the wonderful story of my sister. So she's barreled over the edge of this driveway, and she, the, the bumper of her truck is crashed into the ground, and she continues rolling down the hill and finally stops at the bumps over the creek bed and into the, some trees, and they come to a very harsh stop. And they get out, and everyone's fine. They ha- had to push their way through the tight trees a little bit, but no, no one was hurt, and even the truck had a big dent, in the back, but they still drove it for many years. I've ridden it. I rode in it several times before it finally, uh, finally died. But as they were going down the hill, they crashed through a grapevine. And now this grapevine, my, my sister's father-in-law had planted it for many years, and it was growing, and, but it, just, it wasn't growing enough. There wasn't a whole lot of uh, fruit coming off of it. And what was there was wasn't that great, and he, was, he, he would work it and work it, work it, and just nothing ever came of it until one day his truck just wiped through it. 
and just prunes the heck out of it. <laughs> and the next season, my, my, my father-in-law, or my sister's father-in-law noted, Mandel's grapes grew better than ever. <laughs> so this morning we have felt God here in this place. And I still feel him this morning. God is working in all of us. We are a part of his vine and he, uh, we abide in him. And that takes work. That takes effort. It takes all of us to say, these are the things that I struggle with in my life. And God is trying to prune and trying to uh, lift up in your life. And sometimes we have to be a part of that. As the branch, we have to be willing to grow and turn towards the sun to follow the analogy. But what are things in your life that you need to just, you just need to cut out? Sometimes, for some of us, we just need to send a truck right through it. Get it, get it out of the way. I hope that we can experience God in this way as we abide in him, I hope that we're willing to allow him to prune the things that, out of us that we need pruning. Because those things are things that we've held on to. They are entangled. They are a part of us. But not necessarily for the good. And it'll be painful. It'll be hard. And we're going to say no a lot of the time. And God's going to keep coming back and start clipping. And I hope you're ready for the fruit that's going to grow in your life. Because if we abide in him, he will grow in us and give us everything we ask that we need and the wisdom that we have through the vine that we are connected to will flourish and grow. Now, if you'll stand, I have a blessing to give you this morning. Hold out your hands like you're trying to, or you're ready to experience a gift. May God prune those who are being choked off from him and may those who are low be lifted up so we might be able to yield fruit for a starving world. Go in peace. Amen.